0: No G. <laughs> Ray Brown's Talking Birds. I was afraid you were going to ask me that. I, I thought if we called it Talking Birds, that would make it sound like it was about birds in a cage that talk. It's been very hard to convince a lot of people to not put that G in there. This is one of our major challenges.
1: This is Talking Birds operations manager Debbie Bleacher with another podcast extra. This one is about the man himself, Ray Brown. Outreach coordinator Freya McGregor and I thought it would be fun to interview Ray in honor of Talkin' Birds' 15th year. So we made a list of questions, started a Zoom call with Ray, and then threw out all the questions because we couldn't shut the guy up. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He was great to talk to, as you might imagine. We learned a lot about the history of Talking Birds, and we are delighted to share it with you now. Ray, how did you first get into birding?
0: Well, I lived on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I didn't know anything about birds. Somebody gave me a field guide, and it was the old golden field guide to birds. And when I opened it up, I was flabbergasted about the variety of birds. So I can just remember thumbing through there and just being astounded at all these birds, and then knowing that I could actually go out and maybe see some of them. It was like seeing celebrities in a magazine and you go out and see them in person. And, you know, the thing when you're first birding, every time you go out, there's a good chance you'll see something you never saw before. So it's really an amazing thing.
1: How, how long ago was that?
0: I really can't remember how long ago it was. We,
1: we know books had been invented.
0: There were books then, yeah. They were sort of, you know, hand printed pretty much, but uh, they were out there. Yeah. <laughs>
2: How do you like to go birding now?
0: I kind of call myself a serendipitous birder. I'm not a lister and I'm not really a chaser either, but I wouldn't probably normally drive 100 miles to see a particular bird. I'd sort of rather go to a place that I know and see what shows up there, you know, to really look at birds that you see and appreciate what you're seeing, whether it's something pretty common or whether it isn't to just kind of watch their behavior. It's very easy to not do that. If I'm looking at a bird, I feel guilty if I leave before the bird leaves because I feel like oh. that bird is still there. Why am I not still looking at it? <laughs> Give it a little respect.
2: Yeah, Oh, that's so lovely. How did you get into radio in the first place?
0: Very simple. I walked into a radio station and said, I would like to apply for a job. And they noticed that I could speak. It was a small station in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. They asked me if I was willing to work for a very small pay. And I said, sure. Next thing I knew, I was on the air.
2: Had you particularly wanted a job at a radio station or was it just sort of the next one along the line of places you walked into asking for a job?
0: Actually, I had an older brother who was in the radio business, so I kind of got a little bit introduced to it that way. Also, I had this way of being a ham and kind of gravitated to it because of that, a little bit of of a way of wanting to perform. The first time I was ready to go on the air at that little station, I was pretty nervous. One of the veterans there said, listen, there's nothing to be nervous about because nobody's listening. (laughs) that was very reassuring and it was also very uh, close to being accurate as well so (laughs) I was able to just totally relax and doing whatever I was doing knowing that nobody really was hearing what I was saying so hey no problem.
2: Have you ever had any jobs outside of radio or have they always been in
0: radio? You know pretty much um, since my mid-twenties, or a little bit later than that, I have worked just in radio, yeah.
2: And would folks know your voice from anywhere else than Talking Birds?
0: They probably, <laughs> they probably would. Well, I've worked at quite a number of radio stations around Boston, and before that in Providence, and also on television in Boston. I also have done some work for public broadcasting, PBS, so you might hear it on on there, and For the past number of years, I've also been (laughs) the narrator for something called the Pimsleur Language Programs, belongs to uh, Simon & Schuster. And these are producers of language programs for people learning all sorts of different languages. So I've narrated all their programs for many years. Several times, I've had people contact me saying, wait a minute, are you the same guy that's on that Pimsleur Language Program that I just... I just took this course in Italian. Wasn't that you? And um, yeah, it turns out that it was.
2: You were speaking Italian?
0: No, I'm the English narrator. I love the the (laughs) native speakers uh, handle the Italian part. They let me say a few words in the native language here and there, but mostly I do the English part.
1: I
2: I I know it's probably different during COVID, but... Two years ago, what would be your regular Sunday morning routine?
0: I typically will be in the studio at about 8.30 Eastern time, which is an hour before the show starts, and kind of go over what I'm planning to say, like at the opening of the show. Typically, I will find myself editing what I've written and thinking, did I write that? And uh, I could do better than that. And then, you know, we typically have a a guest that I'll contact before the show starts. And um, these days, every other week, Mike O'Connor from the Bird Watchers General Store on Cape Cod is with us. So I'll get on the phone with Mike and we'll talk about electric cars because we're, (laughs) we're both electric car owners and advocates. So we'll talk about what's happening with electric cars. And then we'll remember that we're doing a show about birds, so we'll talk about uh, whatever his topic is about birds, and he'll tell me about the birds that he has seen that morning on the Cape, and then we'll go over a few of the little technical parts when uh, Jesse, our engineer, shows up. And then, you know, about 15 minutes before the show starts, I'll call our guest, then I drink probably a fourth cup of coffee, and... um <laughs> Get ready and uh, try to be in the right place when the show starts at 9.30.
2: So what happens next? What do you do after you sign off from the show?
0: We get the raw file uh, of the show from uh, our engineer, Jesse, and he puts it on a flash drive, and I put it into my computer. Sometimes I'll make a few edits, and then... I send the show to uh, a couple of our radio station affiliates. So after that, you know, we put the show up on our website. And uh, so it does take a little bit of time. It takes more than a couple of hours. And if I think of it myself, I think, why would it take that long? But it does.
2: How much time does it take every week to make this 30-minute show?
0: I've never figured out how many hours it involves, but it's It's a lot. I mean, I think about putting together our featured Feathered Friend, for example, that little segment that is maybe one to two minutes long. And it's several hours to produce one of those, you know, and then there's the writing, the opening of the show, which is about a five or six minute piece. And I will spend a couple or more hours on that. And then there's the physical recording of material, so, I've never been able to really figure out how many hours. I like to say 15 hours to produce each 30 minute show. That might be wildly inaccurate. The other part of it is that, you know, it's like whenever you do a radio show, I think you're always preparing in the sense that. You're always hearing about stuff and finding stories, you know, just through the week and you're making notes about it. So if I hear a story about electric cars or if I hear a story about an unusual bird sighting or some research about birds or about conservation, I'll make a note about it and I'll put it in a file and that will sort of gradually build up as the week goes on. And then I'll look at all that stuff at the end of the week and see what I might utilize. You could say that you're always working on the show, even when you don't know that you're working on the show.
1: What made you want to make the Talking Bird show in the first place?
0: Well, I was doing a weekend talk show on a radio station here in Boston, WBZ Radio one day the topic of birds and bird watching came up and we started talking about birds and we got bombarded with phone calls, more phone calls than anything I'd ever talked about on the show. After the show was over, we were still getting calls. Not surprisingly, I thought people care about this. People are interested in this. This should be a show. I kind of filed that idea away for several years, and then who knows why, but one day I just thought, I'm going to try to do that thing that I thought of. And I was doing a full-time radio show at the time, so you know, I had plenty to do, but I thought I'm going to just try this, and I started doing it as really a small hobby idea, and I've got a radio station interested in it which is where we still do the show, the great W.A.T.D., Marshfield, Massachusetts. And I remember the owner of the station saying, don't expect anybody to call in on the first half a dozen or so shows. Much to his surprise and to mine, people called in the first day that we were on the air and it kind of went from there. So we were on that radio station alone for, gosh, a couple of years, I guess. And then we Started trying to branch out and we gradually added some more radio stations. And then we started live streaming the show and then making it available as a podcast. So that's how it got started.
1: Are there any features that used to exist that don't anymore?
0: We used to do um, a birds in the news feature. There would just be some wacky story about something that happened to a bird somewhere Strange bird behavior was another little feature that we used to do. And I think we've kind of, instead of having those as separate features, sort of worked them into the general program, like with the opening comments part that might go for six or seven minutes. But most of the other things that we've continued on the mystery bird, the featured feathered friend, Mike O'Connor's segment, and others that I may be forgetting. Freya has been contributing with her audio postcards. That's become a popular segment on our show. And the Science Corner is one that we've continued to do that you, Debbie, are the creator of. So not all that many changes, but a few.
1: I seem to remember that before I joined the show, you had a feature involving bird words. I think Rufus Tohi was the character on air.
0: Yes, yes. Rufus Toey was our professor, the bird word of the week. Dr. Rufus Toey would sort of name maybe a part of a bird's anatomy, for example, with a kind of technical sounding name. And I would purposely not understand what it meant and give kind of a ridiculous suggestion as to what it might mean. And then Dr. Toey would correct me and explain what it really meant.
1: Who voiced Dr. Toey?
0: Uh, That would be uh, me. Kind of try to disguise myself there. I didn't mean to reveal that, but I guess it's okay.
1: You didn't have guests on the show for quite some time. Who were some of your first guests when you did start having them?
0: David Clapp was one of our first guests and has Mm -hmm. been a regular guest many, many, many times on the show. David was the sanctuary director for two mass Audubon sanctuaries for about 25 years and later became an international tour guide for Smithsonian Journeys. And we had lots of folks from the American Birding Association and the American Bird Conservancy, I think, and Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and still have some of them on as recurring guests. Mike O'Connor would be kind of an exception. He does a feature on our show, and I have to say he supports our show as well. In the Birdwatcher's General Store on Cape Cod.
1: Can you tell us how you met him and how, yeah, how he got involved in the show in the first
0: place? So I knew about Mike O'Connor and I had met him at his store and didn't really know him other than being a, a customer. But when I started the show, he was the first person I thought of, and so he has been on the show with me virtually every week. So that means more than 800 times, which is kind of hard to get your head around.
1: Something that I'm often asked when I speak to our listeners is will we ever do remote broadcasts again?
0: I don't see why not. I think we might do them again in the future. I don't have a particular spot in mind or actually I have many spots in mind but not a specific one to focus on at this point. I'd like to go to
1: Mars myself, but I don't think there's a whole lot of bird life there.
0: Yeah. I have a call into Elon about that, but we'll see how that goes. Or we could go to the moon and broadcast from the restaurant up on the moon. You may have heard about the restaurant up there. Um, they say great food, but no atmosphere. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> oh, that's an yeah, old okay. joke. I, dra- I drag that one out every once in a while.
1: You can put it back now. Will talking Birds ever be broadcast on more radio stations?
0: We would like to have as many radio stations as we could possibly have. For anybody listening to this interview, if you know a radio station in your local area that you think would like to carry our show, we would love to hear about it and have our show on there, especially if they could carry it live that's really uh, very, very special to us.
1: Well, how about making the show longer? That's something else that I'm often asked about.
0: I've often been asked about that as well. We've had some sort of logistical problems in terms of our home radio station where we're restricted to that 30-minute segment. And the other thing is that on all of our other radio stations, they are have us kind of plugged into that 30-minute slot where we can't expand beyond that. We've talked about maybe doing the 30-minute extra part just online. I will also say that I'm not sure that we want to expand it that much. We certainly have a very filled-up 30 minutes with the show that we have now. I'm not sure that it wouldn't become...
2: I don't know, a little diluted. Yeah, a
0: little diluted. Maybe that might be the best word to expand it to an hour. That's why I think maybe the kind of extra half hour online might be something that we really should try and see how that goes. And maybe at that point, try to make it an hour show.
1: Have you always had the same theme music, by the way?
0: Yes, we have. A couple of times we did a couple of other themes, but it was really just for fun. We got some really negative feedback about that. I hear that a lot of times people say they love the theme. They may not like the show at all, but they like the theme music. So who knows? A lot of people may be tuning in, listening to theme music, and then tuning out. But at least we have them for the theme music.
1: Is there anything else you would like to tell our listeners that we haven't asked you about?
0: You know, certainly... um, We really are about spreading the word about birds and conservation and they're really intertwined. We love birds for what they are and we love watching them and learning about them. But we always have to do that within the context of preserving our planet. And that's what we want to do and to contribute to. Um, So anybody who would like to support us in that endeavor we certainly welcome you and hope you'll do that.
1: Thank you, Ray.
0: Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Freya. Thank you, Ray.
2: Do you get your hair and makeup done as well before you go on the radio?
0: I usually do my own makeup. <laughs> Ray Brown's talking birds. Ray, 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 Ray.
1: Oh, I like an eagle.